This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Super excited uh, to be here with Kara. As always, Kara Sismania from the Canadian Camping and RV Council and Mr. Daryl Musa, the editor-in-chief of Modern Campground. Uh, our first, like we've been doing these open discussion shows for a long time, and this is the first time where we're going to have this panel of recurring guests, half of which didn't show up and half of which will show up next time. <laughs> Because, and it's not their fault to be clear, like it's always something that blows up when you're doing internet streaming shows or whatever else, whether it's time zones or coordination or whatever, but it wouldn't be exciting otherwise. So I feel like it's right. a good thing. It would just be boring and bland, but really excited with our open discussion show. For those of you who don't know, we have just normally it's just me, Kara and, and Daryl now, and then maybe a special guest here and there, where we're just talking about the latest right. news and topics and things like that. And uh, I feel like I didn't see the emails, but I feel like somebody was constantly emailing Kara and complaining that it was just me talking too much on these shows. And so we invited uh, new <laughs> guests on here. Uh, see, Kara's nodding her head. She knows. Yeah. So we've got a, a panel of new guests here. Some of them are at Glamping, the Glamping Show USA, like a bunch of them are. And so we've got Casey, who's live from the Glamping Show from Camp Spot here, who's going to be one of our regular guests. We're going to go around and do intros for bios for people. Uh, Randy Hendrickson normally would be on the show with us and will be the follow the future open discussion shows, but he is in back-to-back -back meetings at the glamping show i think scott's at the glamping show too are you there scott yeah that, that that's right i don't know if you can see uh all the cool structures behind me scott's outside like how did you get stuck inside casey scott's like yeah it's beautiful yeah my wife was working out there so he must have the inside the vip pass or something <laughs> i did get a special password <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. So yeah, we got a couple of people live from the Glampy Show. We're going to talk about that kind of stuff. We got Kurt Panchek. Is that am I pronouncing that right, Kurt? No, you got the Kurt part. All right. <laughs> How do I say it then? Repincheck. Repincheck. Okay. Repincheck. All right, got it. I won't mess it up again. So Kurt Repincheck is here from National Parks Traveler. For those of you who don't know him in the industry, I'm going to let him give his bio in a second, but super cool publication that's been around for quite a number of years now, focusing on national parks and those issues and things like that. And so I think we're missing Sandy Ellingson, Ellingson too, uh, who is uh RV industry consultant. And she was supposed to be live from the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta. She's down there traveling as well. So hopefully she'll join us. Mark Kep is somewhere floating around the glamping show too so right. just conferences are taking a bite out of our show today but we're gonna have a good discussion so uh let's go around and just have uh, kurt you want to start and just introduce give yourself give an extended bio right first time on the show but people in the industry don't know like who you are as much as they should all right national parks traveler is a nonprofit news organization that is focused specifically on national parks and protected areas predominantly across the United States, but we did establish a Canadian presence this year. And the Long Reach goal is to, to cover national parks the world over. And it's a, a hybrid between a, a daily newspaper as well as a magazine, because we do 
daily news coverage on, on things like a young lady who fell into a hot spring in Yellowstone National Park earlier, the bear attack incident in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, of course, the wildfires out in Sequoia National Park. And then we do uh, longer features that either a, a travelogue type piece, how to enjoy a specific park, or uh, that delves into an issue um, a little bit more deeply than you'll see most out there on most media outlets. For instance, we've got a story coming up hopefully this Sunday, about the Chesapeake Bay area and efforts to make it part of the national park system and some of the unique stories that the Bay has out there to tell to people. So it's a, a nonprofit news organization that uh, covers everything and anything involving national parks and protected areas. And so one of the reasons we had wanted to bring you on, and we'll explore this a little bit as the shows go on, as you have these regular appearances with us, Kurt, is that we wanted, we felt like there's more of a symmetry here that people uh, aren't exploring as much as they should between private campgrounds and national parks. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic there because you've got the national park system and their long-term philosophy on, on how to manage the parks. And you don't see as many amenities in the, the national park campgrounds for our viewers and whatnot. And then you've got the, the commercial outfits outside the national parks, which provide those opportunities. And, and so between the two, hopefully, um, we can meet all needs of, of our viewers, uh, whether you're uh, pulling a fifth wheel or just got a camper on the back of your pickup truck. It's interesting to see how they're evolving because right now the National Park Service for some months has been studying exactly what should the 21st century campground look like. And I know there's been a lot of input on how do we deal with um, the growing size of RVs and how many hookups do we provide and should there be food stores at campgrounds and what about Wi-Fi? Everybody wants more and more Wi-Fi. And does it properly, does it deserve to have a place in national parks? Yeah. So I, I can imagine the thousands of different topics we're going to delve in there, but let's maybe not just today, but as we ongoing in the interior relationship, MC fires the chat. So super excited about that. Uh, let's go to Casey who's live from the Glamping show. Cause he's got a He's got to leave us a little bit early because he's super busy and Camp Spot's amazingly popular, apparently. I've, I've never heard of them. So just tell us, who is Camp Spot? <laughs> who is Camp Spot? We are a young company of providing presentation software to America. It's showing that I have a connection issue. That's okay. Yeah, we can hear you a little bit. You're a little bit choppy. So I, I think the issue is across this whole glamping show, I've heard from several different people that uh, the Wi-Fi isn't the best in the world, but uh, I'll hopefully we'll get Casey back. But Casey is obviously the business yeah. development manager of CampSpot to work with. Go ahead, Casey, if you're back. Yeah, I'm back. If you hear me. Yeah, so we work with 1,500 plus campgrounds across uh, North America, every big and small. We, we try to provide good value with uh, helping parks maximize revenue and, and maximize the amount of bookings they can get at their parks. And so uh, we're constantly learning and constantly taking note as far as where this industry is moving and what it needs and trying to stay ahead of that to, to provide the best software in the space to accommodate uh, the growing number of campgrounds and the growing needs that campgrounds really should expect. So we're a number of great companies that are out there uh, that provide this, but yeah, looking to do our part to help the industry keep moving forward. Well, we're super excited to have you. Like, I can't think of, as far as open discussions and timely topics and things, somebody who regularly interacts with 1500 plus parks, not you directly, but your company. I feel like there's a ton of insights and discussions we can always have with you. So looking forward to that. Mr. Scott Foos from Horizon Outdoors is also at the Glamping Show, but in a much better background than uh, Casey. <laughs> so what's going on? Yeah. 
Hey guys. Yeah. Happy and glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're here at the glamping show and what I've heard unofficially it's three attendance is up three times from what it was two years ago when it was last <laughs> live here. And we're amazed at, at what we're seeing out here, but a little bit about us, Horizon Outdoor Hospitality is a third party management and consulting firm exclusively serving the RV resort and glamping space. We work with uh, a handful of properties nationally, and we really provide A to Z services that, that you would expect with turnkey full management, but also consulting and accounting and marketing services as well. So we're excited to see some of the, some of the growth that our industry is, is currently um, experiencing, and especially here in the McLamping space and it's electric being here and it's, it, it's been a really fun experience. Now, I know a lot of people have heard of you, Scott, but I feel like you're underselling yourself a little bit when you say a handful of properties. Handful. So, yeah. So uh, what is it in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a few. Yeah. We added a few dozen properties from Oregon down to California and across the coast to Florida, up to New England and everywhere in between. And we manage uh, a wide variety of properties too, which is, is pretty interesting to see the differences between in the RV and the RV resort space, the differences between like extended state properties and transient oriented properties, but also more of the, the true clamping oriented properties as well that, that we have to, it's a small industry, but it's very different from one property type to the next and one area to the next two. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been an interesting experience for the last couple of years. Well, your growth has really taken off at Horizon Outdoors, which we'll get into as we talk to you across many different shows, but you're back, you're not new to the industry. So talk just briefly about your sure. background. Yeah. Yeah. I entered the industry in 2005 as a housekeeping front desk maintenance, do it all kind of guy at one of Colorado's premier resorts and quickly began to manage that property. I managed it through college. And after college, I joined Horizon. It was Horizon RV Resorts at the time. Randy Hendrickson was the owner. Horizon itself has been in business since 2004. And we have, we, my wife and I, Lindsay, she and I purchased the company last August and yeah, business in that time has about tripled and it's been a, it's been a wild ride. And I think it's, I think it's indicative of what we're seeing from the demand uh, overall. So. Absolutely. That's awesome. Excited to have you here. I think Angela's here too. She has her uh, camper off, but we'll have her introduce herself in a second when she gets back. Uh, I know she's dealing with a sick child this morning, so juggling oh. multiple things. Oh. Uh, so hopefully he feels better and all that kind of stuff. But what are we going to talk about today? I feel, obviously, let's start with the glamping show, right? We've got, I think Casey's here too. He just turned off his video. Maybe he has some internet connection issues inside. But tell us, give us a, what you've seen so far, Scott, at the glamping show. Yeah, what's been really interesting here, at the, the forum is great. You've got the the indoor seminars that are every other hour, I believe, um, they're about an hour long and then there's indoor exhibit and then there's the outdoor structure exhibit and every single area. Is, and uh, we were surprised to see so many people here again today on the second day. It, it looks like a lot of new faces as well. The structures, there's a wide variety of things out here. And that's been really interesting to, to see the development of as well with anything from canvas to hard sided. And now we're seeing some really cool, some really cool units that are like a hybrid hard sided canvas that I think could do really well in certain environments. So that's been, that seem the structures seem to be generating the most buzz it looks like and, and right tweets fun to walk in through. Um, but it's great to see a lot of the vendors inside too, anything that, that you would expect to see at a, at an event like this from camp spot, other reservation systems to insurance and some furniture and that sort of thing. And the seminars are, are great. All the speakers seem like they're really knowledgeable and we just got out of the 
it was a, a technology in the glamping seminar with, I was a round table. There was a couple of uh, industry leaders hosting that. And it was, you're always learning something new and it's just, it's great to be in that environment where it seems like everybody really is caring for each other. Everybody, we are all in the same industry together and we all rise together. So the more sharing that we can do seems to benefit everybody. I think it's fascinating how the glamping show, I don't want to say popped out of nowhere, because obviously they had yeah. the European division and things like that. But when you look at the comp competing conferences, and they're not really comp competitors with each other, but the similar conferences from Arvik to KOA to LSI to the state associations, glamping is definitely a baby when it comes to some of those shows. But it yeah. seems to be catching fire like much more quickly than I would have thought of. Like the attendance in 2019 when I was there, I wish I was there now. I just stuck in limbo here in Canada. But but yeah, it just seems like th there's so much engagement, so much interest. Were you there in 2019, Scott? I think Randy was. But I yeah, no. Sure. Even though it's even though I live 45 minutes from here, I, I was out of town. So this is my oh, first time. But Casey, you were there in 2019, right? Was. Yeah, I was so, here. Yeah, it's the, it is. It's incredible how many people all over the world, really. It's incredible how many people from like Mexico that are putting up campgrounds or are trying to get into this map. Yeah, I think the interesting thing here is how many people are actively pursuing using whatever space or land or potential they have to build something. And a lot of and a lot of people here, it's building something small, right? One to five units or something like that without hopes to expand it to 15 or 20. We have some larger 40 to 60 site, just alternative lodging, right? But just sorry a better experience. And I think it just speaks to the industry as far as on um, how much it's expanding and growing because people want to get outside. I unfortunately stayed in a hotel last night and each time I do, I'm used to it, a program to doing that. But as soon as I step out of that and get to a, an outdoor lodging environment, it's just, it's better. It's just a better experience overall. So uh, it's the growth of how many people are yeah, taking their money and doing like this with it. Yeah, I think it really speaks to the adaptability of folks in this industry who could just see that despite there being tons of RVs on the road and RV units selling all the time, there was still this tangible, significant portion of market that wasn't as accessible to us. And so this ability to expand, to, to access those, even in those small ways to begin with, it just makes such good business sense to better your case you set your property. It also impacts things like uh, operating season length. It can, it, you know, really extend your operating season into those shoulder seasons and potentially winter, depending obviously speaking specifically to our northern uh, climates. But those things make a ton of sense. And, and I think folks in this industry are by nature very, typically very adaptable. So I'm not surprised at all to see, I think. Glamping is such a big, scrolling through the list of sessions of the, at the Glamping show right now, and there's so many topics to cover. I think yeah. that's part of why those existing conferences we see, you can touch on, only touch on so many things during that time. And so this ability to really focus in on it, there's obviously a need, judging by how many people apparently are there. I want to, I want to dive more into the, yeah, Kurt, that's what I was going to ask you if glamping has crossed over into the national parks yet. And then I want to dive more into what Casey and Scott are seeing. It's, a, it's an interesting issue. And of course it's a controversial issue. Some years ago, National Parks Traveler did a feature on the outfitter that um, took the back, 
took the glamping experience into the backcountry. They went into Yellowstone Lake and, and set up at one of the backcountry campsites there. And they had tents set up and you would get your hot towels in the morning and your cot was set up and warm cups of coffee and all that. Wow. It's interesting to see it explore, expand into the backcountry of national parks. And uh, Scott, in a minute, I'd like to hear from you as far as whether any of the companies you were meeting with or your company is looking at national parks as potential avenues for glamping. At the same time, here in Utah, it's caused quite a controversy down in the Moab and, and Zion area, Zion National Park, Arches National Park. Companies are moving in with these grandiose plans of, I think, upwards of hundreds, if not thousands of guests a night glamping right on the doorstep of a national park mm -hmm. uh, on BLM lands, um, public lands. And so the, the question, is this appropriate? Is it putting too much pressure on the national park? Are we really turning national parks into these biological islands that are surrounded by human presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll just touch on this. In in Canada, Parks Canada does have a glamping program. They actually do a learn to camp program and they've got yurt units and other canvas structures set up in several of their parks and they sectors sections of the market that aren't technically campers yet. So whether that's uh, new Canadian maybe just immigrated or something like that. They run programs specifically using glamping units inside the national parks to get more folks camping. And those are great examples of how our national and, and provincial park spaces really support our industry as a whole. And I think private operators sometimes struggle with having a good collaborative relationship with those parks, but that's one of the ways that they really impact our industry in such a positive way. Scott, did you have anything to say to, to what Kurt was saying or? Uh, I think it's a really important question. I don't know that I've, I don't have the, I don't have a, a solution by any means, but I think what's really important is being a good steward of the national parks and what it means to visit them responsibly and what it also means to be a, a camping or glamping establishment and how you can partner and support the national parks as well. I think there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of backlash, um, to what Kurt was saying, not necessarily from, it seems like government agencies, but more so from local communities that live near these national parks, that they moved there for a certain seclusion and ability to access them and enjoy the tranquility and of that. And I think the, the issue really does stem to how you can support them and operate a business that brings awareness to the national parks and brings awareness to the intrinsic values of visiting these places, but in a way that in a way that doesn't overrun them, and uh, which is something that I think the national park system is dealing with already. I just saw yesterday that somebody, I think for the first time in a while, is able to move away from a reservation system for access. So I don't know what that really means in the grand scheme of things, but I think it is very interesting to see how we can partner with national parks. And I think, Kurt, we should have some discussions as maybe in a future episode too, about ways that we can ways that the private sector can help support what you're doing in the national park uh, system as well. I'll say that Yosemite's uh, reservation system that was just uh, implemented largely during the COVID crisis and uh, Rocky Mountain National Park had uh, a similar one. Acadia National Park has a reservation system as well if you want to go up to the summit of Cadillac Mountain, but that was more to address just general congestion, whereas what was going on at Rocky and Yosemite 
was tied directly to um, the coronavirus pandemic. Although Rocky Mountain acknowledges that they do have a congestion problem, a lot of people have told park staff that they won't be coming back until it's dress- addressed. And that uh, we had a podcast, I think it was last week, with the superintendent of Rocky Mountain delving into that. But I think it's a larger problem because you know, not just inside the national parks, but surrounding them, how much is too much? How much before you kill that golden goose, which is the national park system? There's incredible overcrowding in, in places like Zion and Yosemite and Yellowstone and Rocky Mountain. Mm-hmm. How much is too much before people start saying, I'm not going to go to those parks and the commercial industry suffers because of that. It's, it's a tough one to... I'm glad I'm not managing either a park or a, a campground community. <laughs> yeah, it's a delicate balance that we'll figure out and I'm sure we'll dive into over the course of maybe even later on this show. But just before Casey, I know Casey is not going to be on the show with us too long. So Casey, uh, one of the questions that I have real quick, and you can talk more about glamping and what you're seeing as a vendor perspective too, but, and maybe this is throwing you into the fire a little bit because it's a controversial topic. But when I was there in 2019, I would meet a lot of people. And I think you you and Scott have both touched on this of people who are looking to set up the one site, the two sites, the 10 sites, the whatever. Is there a sense of the difference between the people who are looking to operate glamping from a campground perspective versus an individual land use hip camp type perspective? Oh, we have no audio. I don't have any audio from you, Casey. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're muted, but. Yeah, I think I'm good now. Sorry. It was a little right, yep. background. Yeah. So th- that is an interesting thing because there's just a lot of legalities to people just setting up shop, like at the space here or actually zoning it to actually be a legitimate campground. In a spot specifically, we've taken the stance that we were only working with, say, legitimate in a, in a negative way or the other way, but with real campgrounds, with an LLC that's set up and zoned specifically for that type of business. But it's interesting because in that same breath that we're probably telling 50, quote unquote, non-parks a week, okay, this isn't a good fit either for our software or for our marketplace, just because that's where we're focused on right now. Because we don't know what the future holds for a lot of kind of hip, hip camp type properties are those going to still be legal are they getting shut down are they having to adjust change and really us being focused on the campground market campgrounds are at a disadvantage if someone can just throw up a year and not have to get zoned for it not have to have proper electricity and bathrooms and things of that sort we're airing on the side supporting the campground space so which inevitably means that we turned two-thirds of the people here away that it's just not really not a good fit for, for our business but it'll be interesting to see and scott would be a good a lot of parks are adding clamping we've seen that a ton and i can pay that by one of the app edits that we're doing right now for campground <laughs> Um, yeah, we've almost had to double down on our graphic designers just to keep up with them. And a lot of it is lodging, right? They're adding cabins or, you know, dining home type aspects or yurts and, and just to add that experience. So I think there's a lot to be decided on, will this new experience last? Like will people default back to a, a really cool tent or the people that are looking for lodging, they're going to, you know, want to go back to the traditional cabin because right now you, you can't miss right now with outdoor lodging right almost anything at the moon outdoor for the most part people are, are eating up it's a matter of right a cabin we, we know has been proven we know that the cabin the return on that investments are in we know that there's a huge audience of people who want to be in a campground but an rv or a trailer but they they are they are dedicated to being in a campground. That's the experience that they want. Will glamping, the longevity of it work as well as those cabins have? I think that's yet to be proven, but it's got probably as 
properties that, that have them on there. And, and he, would, he would know better than I. No, I think uh, yeah. everything you said uh, rings true to me as well, Casey. And I probably should talk quietly because that's probably not a popular thing to say here. But <laughs> that, yeah, the number of people that we've talked to that that are that have land and they're just going to pop up a few safari tents and do off the grid camping. And they're outside of Portland. They're in these probably really cool spots and they probably have really beautiful properties and great intentions. But uh, a lot of it is really legal from a zoning perspective. Yeah. And so what we, what we have found in, in, in a true RV resort and, and camping space and permitted glamping properties, um, how you do it, I think how we build it will help to, uh, determine how long this wave may last. And what I mean specifically by that is we've got a couple of properties that are like this. We've got a safari, really beautiful safari lodges with bathrooms, but they're 10 feet from their neighbor. And we're working to actively figure out how we resolve that because people say we love the experience, but it felt like we were in a beautiful hotel room, but we could hear everything our neighbors were doing at their campfire until 1 a.m. or whatever it was. And so I think if we continue at, in the private space, if we continue to develop properties that have high density and clamping units and, and we don't really give thought to the experience that our guests should be having at these, I think it might. I think it may be short-lived. I think that people might be reverting back to hard-sided units, which we tend to prefer anyways, because of the seasonality and all sorts of maintenance and operating benefits that you get in the familiarity to the hotel space. But I think it's going to be interesting to see if we can, if we as private parks can, can do this responsibly and make sure we're keeping the guest experience in mind, which I think is overlooked. I think that we can have this be more impactful to the RV industry and give folks zoned and legal places to, to go stay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can add to that, Scott, most campgrounds, you want to get someone to commit to your park, then you want them coming back, right? You yeah. might not want them there for six months at a time. You want to go more of the transient route than the, you know, the permanent or long-term route. But your goal really is to say that someone, you bring them in for an experience and they want to come back for that experience, whether it's once a year, whether it's once a month, or at least just when they do want to want to go camping, that they're coming back there. And that, just to Scott's point, is the interesting thing. That's what the camping industry has done such a good job of is, right. I want this spot in this area, or I want this cabin here, I want to be by this pool, or in this spot with the camping aspect, that entire experience, are people going to come back to it? Are they going to leave there going, I want to book this again next year for this time with my family, um, or with my wife, or with my kids? And that, I think that's going to determine a lot. I think keeping an eye on the amount of people rebooking is an important thing to keep an eye on because that's what, you know, a lot of campgrounds rely on. Not as much so right now because so many new people, but ultimately you want, the, you want people coming back to your park, right? That's the really? guaranteed way to have your revenue come back is people rebooking. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think it's vital that we are incredibly intentional about the entire experience as a whole, as opposed to just this unit looks nice. How many can we squeeze in here? I, I have to say, I, especially in the last probably year, I get a few contacts a week from people who don't own a campground yet, but want to. And they're always surprised when they say, what are the steps? What do I do? And the first thing I say is, you need a property that has the accurate, the appropriate zoning taken over to operate this business legally. And that sometimes can be a big challenge. And Brian, I think earlier you were saying something about a lot of people come maybe with the intention of starting this, but then that kind of fizzles over time and, and maybe that doesn't happen for them. I think this is frankly a big part of that hurdle is often 
the getting the zoning and that stuff in place, I think it's an important from an industry standpoint, and maybe it's an association task that we should be doing better at, but we really need to be communicating with municipalities and counties across the continent about this business and being intentional with them as well about the type of economic diversity and impact we can have so that those zoning changes are not such a mountainous battle (laughs) to fight to get properties like this off the ground and running and operational. Um, So I, that's something important to me at at the association level. I am committed to continuing to do that with our more local officials and things like that. Things like shows like this help, the glamping show helps or people who are championing this will just continue to broaden all of that for sure. I think that's a a good point, right? Like uh, I think I'm hopeful that, and and I firmly come down on the same side that Casey's on, or like we want to work primarily with campgrounds and places like that, but we are turning away people just like Casey is at the same time. And so I think, I think ideally like a perfect goal that comes out of this is, is the raised awareness from COVID, more people who want to get into the space, more people who want to start glamping businesses, but maybe that interest translates into more governmental awareness, more regulation awareness, more willingness of permits to be approved in a quicker, more robust fashion. And then that not only helps the glamping businesses become campgrounds, but the campgrounds get easier approval and loans and regulations too. And so I think they meet in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. We're seeing on the news, I've, I see articles a couple times a week of non-known or regulated campground space. They're being closed or they're fighting a battle with their county to stay open and think that's probably a costly undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> we should avoid those where we can, for sure. God, I got a question for you. Have you had a lot of new parks in your guys' portfolio where people get in, they, they buy the land, which is obviously the, you know, the important part of the happen get into the, the bill, they realize, of course, it's way more expensive than they thought it was going to be. And there's a lot more that can go into it. Are you finding more new, like new owners are, are reaching out to you guys more than the existing ones that essentially need a revamp? Where are you seeing the industry going for using services like yours? Yeah, apps. Yeah, it's a great question. A hundred percent. It's all, it seems like it's the majority of it is new ownership and the majority of that new ownership is private at capital fund groups that are getting into the space about probably three, four years ago, 90% of our business was mom and pop ownership. Um, and 10% was capital funds. And that is entirely flipped in the last yeah. couple of years. And it makes sense in some ways too, because for a mom and pop to bring in a consultant or a management company, we can help with certain things, but oftentimes the property that they're running might not be able to support management fees, but then also these investment groups have the need to be able to partner with a consultant for, for the sometimes it's written in their bylaws of, of their funds to be able to have to partner with management company. And really we view ourselves as growth and strategic partners more than a service provider. Our success, their success is our success. And so we focus on them first and foremost. So I, I think that the new development, Greenfield development that we're seeing is, I think in the last year we've opened six or seven brand new shovel, you know, properties from ground up, which has been very interesting. We've got a few more in the queue. And so I think what's going to be interesting moving forward is seeing the turn of our industry move from being so mom and pop prevalent, which there there's thousands of campgrounds and there, there will always be a majority of mom and pop, but the large, the larger properties that have higher, higher top line revenue, I think continue to move towards capital fund groups. Um, 
And I think what we're really advocating to, to our clients that, and we work with amazing clients, um, we're advocating that, that they make sure they build these properties and run these in a way that makes sense for future growth um, and isn't, and, and, and provides unique experiences at each location that we don't turn them into chains of um, Fairfield. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because our industry was on unique locations, unique experiences, like just the uniqueness and difference of each location. Uh, and I'd hate for us to lose that as an industry. So far, it seems like everybody's getting into the space. They know that's why it's been so successful. So let's just keep leaning into that. It's yeah. the fundamental of the industry is we w folks are moving around between all of these parks. We want to offer them different experiences and all of those right to get them in the door in multiple properties every season. And so I completely agree with Scott. I'm seeing the same thing here. I, I have several, the last several members that have joined the association in my province have all been investment group members who purchased campgrounds in the last year and are looking both for management staff or services to help them with operations and also happy to network with other operators. I think they're happy to keep their uh, eyes open for any more potential deals <laughs> and things like that. So I completely agree. I'm seeing that same shift up here and, and I don't anticipate that really slowing down as long as the industry is performing so well. Yeah. And one of the things, even with the minute Scott mentioned this, and it's so important as far as finding some of that niche, or at least just expanding on what your part does and what it does well. And, and displaying it. We went to the extent where we were having such a hard time getting quality photos and listings to be able to basically showcase the park's properties online to keep a confident book online or for like going out and doing photo shoots for them. Saying, look, you desperately need to showcase the, the good things that your property and, and how you talk about site and how you display different site types and, and I don't necessarily need a photo of every single site because some of the sites don't look great. <laughs> some of them don't right. look like a bunch for sure. Just getting something out there is going to increase bookings. And I think, again, that's just the overall shift that the, the camper or should expect, right? You were able to not have that much photos and display of your park in, in, in recent years, but that's really the expectation. And especially if you want to stay for keep attracting, because again, the goal is to attract new customers as well as get the other ones back because new customers are going to drive the price point up each, each time. Right. You never want to stop getting new customers, but the best way to do that in some cases is to let them know what you have and, and just really explain that in some capacity is so important. And we've seen a good shift in that where even three years ago, we'd look at, it seemed like one out of 10 parks actually had a good representation of, of what was at their park from, with, from a photo standpoint and just an explanation and even giving it a general creative overview of your park, like what to expect when you come here, even trying to, you know, like, hey, we don't want to write it for you because it's your park, but you really want to give some sort of snapshot of what, you know, what <laughs> how should I come there? What is it that, that I'll right. that park that's going to speak to certain customers. We're seeing a good switch in that too, but it, it's still the camping industry overall still has a long way to go. There's still a lot of parks that don't have that. Right. Yep. And that's why I think so many new campground operators feel there's such a good opportunity because they're like, geez, yeah. there might be eight artists in the area, but one of them's online or two of them's online. And I can immediately get impact by opening and just doing some basic things to show, you know, show people that I, that we exist. So we're seeing, yeah, it's incredible how many new park owners. We see that. 
honestly, I would say maybe out of the 700 or so parks over the last year that we've onboarded, I would say honestly, maybe 150 have been new parks. So it's crazy. It's crazy how many new parks that, that we're seeing getting, getting open right now. I just want to highlight that what Kate talking about specifically and how much of an added benefit this stuff is when you partner with somebody like Kim. I think it's important to note that this is so much more than just reservation software. Kempspot offers you a full team of pros who are going to give you tons of advice and resources and perspective that maybe I was a campground owner for a long time. It's easy to get tunnel visioned when you're in the midst of a season where your sites are full and you're busy every day. And so you're not technically thinking about like, how can I harness other sections of the market and how can I access a different demographic and all of those things at that time that partnership with, with somebody like Campfond is brings so much more to the table than just software. No, thanks, Sarah. I got your 20 bucks in the mail. <laughs> to touch on what Casey was saying too about images, not just on the reservation system side, but just images across all of your branding, across your website, across your social media and stuff like that. We encounter a lot of clients. It's getting better. I find that the group or the properties that are working with management groups tend to have nicer pictures, more pictures that sort of thing. We still have, I joke and people laugh, but we still have clients where we've got pictures that we have to pull from that are like from a flip phone, like Motorola Razor images. And the thing is, is I just don't, people see a price tag on what it costs to have someone come into your park and take pictures. And it's really not difficult if you have a nice smartphone to take some of your own pictures, but the negative reviews and the people that don't want to come back and the people that don't even want to give you a first chance, it's because you're setting an expectation with the images that they're seeing. And if your images stink, there's not anything for them to look forward to. There's no, there's nothing enticing them to book. And then the negative reviews that you see, you want to have nice pictures, but you also want to have an honest depiction. If you only have one nice bathhouse and everything else is junk, um, you only have a few nice heights, so you need to find a nice way to display the reality of your part. Cause the negative reviews you get are because of unmet expectations that you've already set before they've set foot on your property. And yeah. Maybe to your point, Angela, with that too, because you, um, you guys are, are right on the front line with marketing and, and making sure that we've got great content. And I think that it's not as complicated or as expensive as it, it sounds like it could be to get those great images. We've, and I'll, I'll admit up until a couple of years ago, we were some of the worst offenders with that. Find some great stock images that look like your park and, and call, call it a day. But we've really pivoted that in the last year and we've focused first on content, what the experience is that we're trying to set at the property, why we want, how we want guests to experience our locations and how we want them to feel designing the on-site spaces and, and physical structures and amenities around that, but then also partnering with influencers. And there's ways that you can have someone come stay at your property for a week in your shoulder season for free, and they'll exchange 10 or 20 images that are high quality professional images that you can use for your social media channels. But even if you do go for a professional shoot, which you should maybe a couple thousand dollars, but the, that we as an industry can really focus on reinventing how we're approaching marketing from just focusing on Google ads and Facebook ads, which you need to be there, but really uh, focusing on content generation and not afraid to spend money on that will all benefit as the industry elevates overall. But it's really not, to Angela's point, it's really not that difficult and expensive really to get that, that high quality imagery. Can we just talk about Bay Point Landing for one second? Because there's some gorgeous photos at Bay Point Landing. <laughs> Everything. Thanks. That's the yeah. gorgeous part. Wow. 
that, that, that's on my bucket list of uh, properties to visit. It, it just adds <laughs> point too. Like you said, it is a couple thousand dollars to have someone come in. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, the ROI that you're going to see on that because you have displayed your property in a really nice, uh, a really nice, consistent way, it, it'll pay for itself. It really will. And sometimes you just have to, you have to pull the trigger and rip the bandaid off, but pays for itself in a very short amount of time. And one last thought on that too, Angela, um, and I'm not a marketing guy, but I know enough to be dangerous. But if you focus and spend money on great content, you can really narrow your audience down to the folks that are actually going to book it at your site. And so your Google and Facebook ad spend is so much more efficient as well. So it almost in, in some ways can not only will it make you more money, but can also sell your marketing efforts because it can be more narrowed and focused as well. And it also ends up another point to that is the reviews that you get more consistent review ratings. You're not getting as many negative reviews because they have false expectations of what they're going to see. Yeah, it's a multifaceted thing and a really simple fix too. <laughs> yeah, and it's all just, it's about putting thought into it. It's thought and care in the same way that Scott does on the management operation side. And obviously he's got marketing people on his team too, uh, that, that focus on that, but just putting thought and care into all the little things that go into the guest experience and the journey that people take to book with you from the photos, like Casey was talking about and Scott, and we've been talking about discussing to the copy on your website, to the blog post you're writing to, we've got, we've got a client that, that talks and, and portrays their entire glamping experience from a dog's perspective and the copy on the website is written <laughs> from a dog's perspective. And so it's, I don't know if it's something that obviously should be widespread or wide scale, but for their park and their theme, it fits and it works for them. Works. But the key is that it, it, they're putting that thought into it. They're thinking about, here's how I want to theme it. Here's how I want the guests to perceive it. Here's how I want it to do it. And they're really like taking the time to, to create that stuff. And it, to Scott's point about even Google ads, all the directions we can take for this. So we've they're got clients. Yeah. And we've got clients again, like you talk about, look at Arizona, for example, just cause this is one that's popping into the, into my head. You, you narrow your focus and you talk, you, you target your Google ads and Facebook ads to people who are, are looking for places to stay near the city where the campground is. The further you go out from that, the less narrow your targeting becomes, and you can still get guests as you increase that. But the ROI, the return on investment, the conversions, the all that goes down because you're expanding your targeting. And, and that's not just with Google ads, it's with everything you do, copy and all that kind of stuff. Kurt, what have you seen from, like you've been quiet over there, Kurt, I feel like, cause we're talking all <laughs> about glamping, but like, how do you envision some of these glamping operators as they increase their operations, as they become more niche in some cases, working not with directly the national parks, but working in, I don't know, coordination with the theming, the areas, the things like that to help maybe amplify or increase the glamping experience at their properties that are near national parks? It's a good question. And it, it's outside my purview because I'm really focused inside national parks. And that's what I mean. Like the theming, like if you're talking about Utah, right? Moab and stuff like that. Obviously there's ways that I think that private parks can tie in the glamping experience at a park in Utah with the theming of Moab and make that kind of a more, I guess that's where I'm going, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think I know I'll, I can speak from local parks here in Alberta. I just finished sitting on an outdoor recreation roundtable and, and Alberta is the provincial parks are actively working to expand or enhance their regulatory requirements on right. outdoor recreation use on the crown land, crown land properties surrounding immediately surrounding their provincial parks. 
in a way to, Kurt touched on this earlier, to both reduce human impact in those areas and do some more regulatory stuff, but also be more intentional about how visitors are using those spaces in order to cultivate experiences and things too. So things like OHV, like ATV use and, and things like that, they're, they're putting in regulatory expectations and resources and facilities and things like that to better, I hate to say control, just to mitigate our impacts on those really vital kind of natural ecosystems that frankly make up a, a large portion of this province. And we have several member, campground member operators whose properties are either on those lands or directly border them. In, in the cases where they're on those lands, they have lease agreements with any campground, privately operated campgrounds there. Um, but it certainly does have the potential to really impact their businesses. There are a few, we've had the owner of Sundance Lodges on this show before quite some time ago, but her property is on in Kananaskis Provincial Park. And she has, the majority of her sites are teepees and, and outfitter tents. So she's actively operating a really successful glamping business on provincial, like public lands through lease agreements and all of those things. I think there's obvious, there's great ways to facilitate good partnerships here that she, as much as she is operating her business, she's also really passionate about keeping the environment, prioritizing the treatment of the park and ensuring that her guests are great stewards of our natural environment. And she's, the, in my opinion, the gr a great example of the type of person that in, I think that those parks should be partnering with. She's not only prioritizing her bottom line, but also that stewardship. And I do think the Alberta government is actively seeking other partners to, to do more agreements like that with. So there is, I don't think we can compare apples to oranges here. <laughs> we have different dynamics in ter terms of population densities and those kinds of things, but there is an, an active push on the provincial government's part to expand access to those public lands to disperse some of the traffic that's really concentrated in places like Banff and Kananaskis, mm -hmm. other areas of the province that are incredibly gorgeous and offer those unique experiences that are just not really well known. And, and so those private businesses like Sundance Lodges can really benefit from those government initiatives that are targeting those things. Sorry, Brian, I feel like that's a long-winded way of saying those things are starting to happen and are proving to be successful here. And so I think as long as it's, again, I keep saying this word intentional and really focused on not just bottom line and dollars and things like that, I think there's ways we can be really successful. Hey, Kara, I think, Kara, I guess I'm more cynical than you are. Okay. <laughs> Especially when I hear talk about um, investment companies and, and looking into the glamping business and, and displacing the mom and pop operations. And I think what's going on in Utah is a, is a perfect example of what we have to watch out for when these companies that have the political clout and the financial clout to, to move on to public lands, fringing national parks. Mm-hmm. In increasing the pressure on those parks. And how much a night do you want to spend to, to sleep in a tent? I, I see there's a, an Airstream model coming towards Zion National Park and $300 a night. We're going to price the experience out for a lot of folks. Now, now moving away from cynical, cynical voice, uh, down in Everglades National Park, there's an interesting operation at Flamingo. 
down on the very southern tip of the park where the concessionaire, because of some hurricanes that wiped out the lodge there back in 2005, I think it was, mm. they're slowly rebuilding some hard lodging facilities there, which I think are going to open next year. But they've also dabbled with glamping. They've got some beautiful tents, mm. flamingo with beds and dressers and lamps and whatnot. But again, you run into what Scott was saying earlier about, do you want to go to sleep listening to your neighbor? You have to be a little bit <laughs> sensitive to how you disperse those glamping operations yeah. uh, so as not to ruin the experience. Even that goes beyond tents. I was in some, some cabins where I could hear the couple next door most of the night. Uh, <laughs> but I do think as the National Park Service looks towards what the 21st century camping experience should be, I like what Parks Canada has done with introducing some glamping options. We had a story on that earlier this year, and there's some really unique accommodations that um, they're offering out there. But I think it has to be done in a sensitive way. It shouldn't be like yeah. hey, we can shoehorn in, because that's what right. it's got to ruin the, the natural habitat, the natural resources. Totally. And at the end, it's just going to trash the place. I couldn't think- agree more, Kurt. I think... I know specifically here in Alberta, there's been up until now a real, frankly, a complete limitation on development of certain types on on our public lands. And the intention of this outdoor recreation roundtable was to start that regulatory conversation process so that the government can begin to assess. I think we can be, they can, their intention is to be focused on ensuring that the right types of partnership come into place in those areas right in in order to prioritize the things that you're saying the experience the you know equitable access to those public lands for as much of the population as possible those kinds of things have to stay at the top of the priority list above a lot of or above any frankly private interest and i think when you when you start talking about investment companies coming in you're gonna lose that well and i think there's there is going to be I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn, but in my opinion, I don't see them, there being willingness to, to partner with investment firms. I think maybe I'm pipe dreaming, but I do, I have seen applicate, they've actively got applications for partnerships open for over a year now. Right. And I have seen them refuse partnerships based on the, the relationship not being not aligning with their goals or priorities. So I think I'm hopeful. <laughs> Again, there's, it's easy to imagine. I agree with you, Kurt. It's easy to imagine that dollars are going to dictate how these decisions get made. And so I think it's important that we remain strong advocates about how our public parks should look and how those partnerships should work. The private operations that currently exist there or are bordering there are very reliant on the continued success and longevity of those lands. And it's in their interest as well to not see them reduced to corporate <laughs> hotel <laughs> arcade and stuff. Yeah, I think there's a big group of folks who want to see them stay very focused on the intention, the fundamental intention of our public lands and, and what they're there for. I hope they'll stay noisy. Confident it will. Go ahead, Scott. I think you wanted to add something. Oh, I've uh, a, a few thoughts, but I think it's all. I think Kurt and Kara both 
bring up really good points about how we could, how we need to navigate this as an industry. And from a group that works with a lot of uh, investment money, I think I can say that, you know, there's groups out there that do it better than others. One thing to keep in mind, and I don't know how this, it's not perfect, but out of these, these auto camps of the world and others are going into existing properties, existing campgrounds that had more RVs, um, on them than the density that they're being redeveloped into. And I'm curious to know how those groups can partner with the, the national park system and the local community right. too. Like, let's not forget, it's not just the national park system, but it's how we can help benefit those local communities through you know, tax dollars and community outreach and ways to be a good neighbor by allowing our guests to connect to nature, to connect to the national parks that they're going to visit in a different way than they would even in an RV. That was the initial point of the property that, that they're redeveloping or another five-story hotel that's going up in town. So I think there's a way that the glamping and outdoor hospitality industry can be very good stewards. I just don't think we know exactly how yet. I so. think we have to take small, short, intentional steps. Totally <laughs> <laughs> agree. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's and the thing. That's the point of opening up. Yeah. Oh, that's the point of opening up this conversation. That's why I invited Kurt on the show and I want him to be yeah, a regular guest because prompting and forcing these discussions that kind of make people uncomfortable. Mm. They're not sure where to start is the way that we make progress. And so right. there's so many nuances involved in this from, from the basic of what I said, partnering and what we're talking about with Scott to the, the things that Kara talked about, like the concessionaires and the businesses that are actually within national parks that have a deeper partnership with them. I went up to Jasper National Park here in a week and a half ago or something like that. And we stayed at a yeah. beautiful place called Pine Bungalows. That was a, a little tiny lot. They had a little couple hotel rooms, but for the most part, it was standalone cabins that were right by the river and they were on, like not near, they were in the national park. And so as we expanded to glamping and campgrounds, try to innovate and, and create more partnerships, both with their local community, like Scott was saying, but also with these national parks, there's ways that these can be intertwined in a more thoughtful way than uh, just money or just investment groups or just whatever. Yeah. I agree. I think the, the so much of our um, potential market is enters the camping kind of realm and world by experiencing those public lands and those public spaces. And so whether private operators like it or not, we are very reliant on their longevity and success and embracing that and seeing where we all fit together in this puzzle uh, right. as a big picture is incredibly vital. I like I said, we have several operators here specifically in Alberta, but I'm sure across Canada who can attest to the success of their business com being completely reliant on the success of the park. And so the interest from our, from those, from the government to not only make those parks, continue to make those parks amazing. We're seeing tons of financial investment in campground spaces to add RV connections and things like that. But then we're also seeing, like I said before, directive to really start to harness some of the other areas in the province to help disperse some of the traffic from the really popular spots like Banff and Jasper and whatnot. And I'm confident that's happening across the country. Yeah, and I definitely want to continue this discussion, and we can. I just want to bring Scott in one more time because we did yeah. tell him we were only going to take an hour of his time, and he's live here on the show. So 
Uh, <laughs> feel free to drop off You're anytime fine. you want, Scott. But just before you leave, if you have to go here, just tell us, what are you looking forward to at this glamping show? What's coming up for you? What are you excited about as you continue the show? Or yeah. Wrap it up? Yeah. What's, I think as a company, we have been trending towards really understanding the need to create the why create why our guests are coming and why they're coming to our locations and how we can really create those experiences. And it sounds buzzworthy to say things like experiential hospitality, but as a company, we're helping down in that. And we've hired some really high powered people that have designed experience stores for Nike and that sort of thing of how, how guests should be using spaces and how they should be feeling in those spaces. And I think I'm really excited about that direction that we're taking as a company and that I think I see our industry moving towards is really focusing on how our guests feel, not just providing sites and a clubhouse and a pool and an affordable rate and really what that means and how we can improve as an industry and grow as an industry. That's what I think I'm most excited about this. I also love seeing the innovation of, again, you've got uh, all these structures back here and that's just a small sampling of them. There are all sorts of things that we're seeing that I think how practical they are in, in, in our line of work from an operating standpoint I and mean, how well, well hold up might be a question, but I love the ingenuity of our industry and how we're constantly reinventing. So that's what I'm most excited about seeing here. And uh, I think the direction that the industry is going. Awesome. If you, again, feel free to stay with us, Scott, but if you need to jump off, please, I know you're at the show and, and you've got all kinds of other commitments and things to do there. But yeah, I think uh, we're about an hour and five minutes here. My phone's going off because people thought I was only going to be available for an hour or two or gone for an hour. Is there anything else that we want to cover, wrap up, talk about glamping, Kara, or anything else that you can think of? No, I think it was a great show. Touched on lots of stuff. So thankful to everybody for joining us. I know Casey had to drop off. Thanks. Appreciate Casey for joining us. Sorry we missed Randy and Mark Cap and Susan. I look forward to the next big group chat at the beginning of November 3rd. Yeah, we'll have everybody back on uh, November 3rd and we'll have the, some of those people that we missed hopefully as well. It was Sandy Ellingson. She was uh, from the Bloom Fiesta, just had some trouble getting on. She emailed me and stuff like that. So that's expected. We're traveling, things happen, stuff like that. Uh, I know Randy will be back joining us next month and obviously we'll have Scott and Kurt back with us. Casey, Daryl's here too. He was super quiet. I don't think he said a word the whole show, but you gotta, we're going to break Daryl out of his shell and make him a little less shy as the weeks go on. But yeah, there's so many cool things that Daryl's seen and covered for glamping and stuff like that on Modern Campground too. It's a worldwide only growing phenomenon. So I'm sure we'll have more shows on that and talk about more than that. So Kurt, any last thoughts? I think it's a really interesting topic. Obviously there's a lot of people who want to get to the outdoors. The question is whether it's sustainable. There was uh, the big rush for the RV vehicles the past year or so. And uh, a lot of the insiders told me that you're going to see a lot of gently used RVs for sale coming up in the coming year. So it'll be interesting to see whether those sales hold up and, and turn into full-time year-round RV enthusiasts. And the same thing with the national parks. There's been a lot of crowding out there. And is it just a, a blip because of COVID or are we going to see year-round more and more visitors go to the national parks and will they become national park advocates and stewards? Yep. Absolutely agree to seeing how that takes shape and all kinds of discussions we're going to have from it. So appreciate you guys joining us as a reminder, if you're watching us live here, you've already seen the show and you don't need to pay attention to what I'm saying now, but if you haven't watched us live, you can go uh, check out us on a podcast. We'll be available on Spotify, Google, Apple podcasts, all those kinds of places afterwards. You can listen to us on MC fireside chats, as well as all the backstory episodes. Uh, and we will see you next week. I think we're going to talk with uh, Christine Taylor from town law firm and a couple other guests. We're going to just dive into this 
potential vaccine mandate that might be coming across the uh, United States, Canada, things like that. It's already here in Canada, uh, but how that might impact campground and park owners specifically, state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, what they need to look at, how they can work with employees and things like that as far as I want my colleagues to be vaccinated or unvaccinated and all kinds of crazy issues that we can dive into there. So uh, looking forward to a good discussion next week. And I really appreciate you, you know, Scott, Kurt, Daryl, Angela, Kara, all joining us, Casey, who had to drop off early, and we will see you next week for another good show. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.